Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, but we're two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Mm, we do. Hello. Can you get all like mm, cozy and into mm. it. <laughs> you know, I... I got a new serum that I've been putting on my face. Really? Yeah. Let me make sure I have the name of it correctly. It's from CosRx. Okay. It's their Triple Hyaluronic Moisture Ampule. Mm. I actually ordered it from our sponsor, iHerb. 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 Oh, cool. That's fun. And, and, and you know what I've been doing? This is so dorky. I apply what? it like the people do on TikTok. You know how people take droppers and just directly drop things onto their face? Like oh, I yeah. my whole life I've always droppered into my hands, right? Same. Same same. I th- think, I don't know. My theory is that people now do droppers on the face because it's like a better on-camera Oh, it's like more you dramatic. Know, like, it's more dramatic to just dropper stuff onto yes. your face. It's not yes, more yes, yes. practical. Like it certainly doesn't make sense to me. But I've been Fair. dripping this stuff onto my face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you like it? I kind of like the drip. It's, <laughs> it's kind of now. I kind of get why people do it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's a it's a hydrating serum. It's hyaluronic acid, vitamin B. It's got some nice glycerin in there. Mm. It's very nice. Okay. It's very nice. Yeah, I've been on a little bit of a COSRX train lately. I'll tell you more about it at some point. But I've been um been using a lot of their products. Okay, that's been, exciting for you. Quite, yeah, I'm trying to really hydrate this old skin. I have like like sometimes my skin is like it's like if a pie crust was a face, you know. <laughs> like flaky and delicious and delicious but yeah, I just it's just dry like you know how a, like there's not it's not like a cake where there's a lot of moisture i'm trying to make my yeah. face a cake you know it's funny that you say this because i've been thinking oh, just literally over the last couple of days that my skin has been feeling a little dry which is interesting because it's been rather humid here in los angeles it has been humid it's really strange. Like we're so not used to wetness like this. It's mm-hmm. like, ugh. so I'm like, why is my skin so dry if it's so humid? 
I I woke up this morning with a sheen of sweat on my chest, and I don't know what that's about, but wow, I know it's weird. It's like I'm wet but dry. <laughs> this sounds gross. Not gross. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> double double entendre, if you will. Well, can if you're experiencing dehydration in your skin, have you have you changed up anything like as a result to um, kind of like help it along? I I'm like. No, I haven't really been uh, this this sort of like just occurred to me that this is happening. So I'm I'm trying to sort of like troubleshoot. I hear you. Well, you know, may I offer you a couple products that I really like that I feel yes, do please. help. Okay. Well, I've already mentioned the Beekman 1802 milkshake. It's a squalling yes, um yeah. spray. Mm-hmm. And I find that really hydrating before I do like a hyaluronic acid serum and then a moisturizer. And I've also been trying this comfort ceramide cream mist from Cosrx. Mm. Same idea, like it's a it's a kind of a hydrating slash with the ceramide like protecting the skin barrier type mist. Also a very fine mist, which I really love. Mm. But here is okay. Here's a new cream that's coming into the coming into play. Okay, I'm listening. It's Cosrx Comfort yep. Ceramide Cream. Now this is a thick bitch. Okay, because this I is the, think it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, look, I'm just being. I'm going to be real with you, Kate, for a second. Take me here. Let's go. I'm, I'm probably not going to get a mist. That's fine. I don't think you need to. But that's my I, thing. I was thinking that I might want to get like a more heavy duty moisturizer. <gasps> okay, this stuff is delish. It's definitely heavy. Like it to me, it it reads as a winter moisturizer. But because my skin is feeling so dry, I've been using yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's what I need right now. Oh my gosh, this stuff is great. I, I I've never tried any like face creams from. Cosrx before, mm-hmm. and I have been like blown away by how, like how delish this is. Wow. Okay. All right. Maybe I'll check it out. Oh. Maybe I will check it out. Rec- Thank you for the recommend. Recommend. You're welcome. You know what, You're welcome. Kate? You just influenced me. It's so interesting that you say that because we have an influencing expert on the pod today. Mm, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Uh, did I just like, uh, maybe I should uh, like market what I just did and create a blog. Maybe you should. <laughs> Our guest today is the one and only Stephanie McNeil, who I worked with for several years at BuzzFeed News. And at BuzzFeed, she covered internet culture, the influencers and creators who shape it, viral trends, pop culture, and how social media impacts our IRL world. She's now um, an editor at Glamour, where she's still writing about this stuff just for a different publication. She's also very active on Instagram, where she provides daily updates and commentary on the latest happenings in the influencer world and other musings about pop culture. And she does a weekly roundup of her Instagram posts on Substack. In 2021, she was a consulting producer and appeared in the documentary film, The Rise and Fall of Lula Rowe, which I feel like if you I haven't mean, seen it. That is up Dory's alley. It is right up my alley. Uh, but the 
documentary was based on a 10,000 word feature she wrote for BuzzFeed News in 2020. She also hosted the accompanying podcast, also called The Rise and Fall of Lula Rowe in 2022. And her new book is called Swipe Up for More Inside the Unfiltered Lives of Influencers. As you'll hear when we start talking to Steph, I did blurb this book and I love this book. It's a real uh, pulling back the curtain. She goes deep on it's three so influencers and it's really, it's really good. Look, um, I love it. So before it. we, before we get to Steph, let me just remind everyone that you can get links to everything we mentioned on our show at forever35podcast.com. Just click on the episodes link and click on this episode. You'll see all those links. We're also on Instagram at Forever35Podcast. We have our favorite products at shopmy.us slash Forever35. We do have a newsletter at Forever35Podcast.com slash newsletter. And you can call or text us at 781-591-0390 or email us at Forever35Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Here's Stephanie. Stephanie, welcome to Forever35. This is very exciting. Dory knows you already, but for me, this is... (laughs) an Instagram follow coming to life. So <laughs> I am giddy to have you and on the I've pod. And I've been talking up your book for yes, months. Yes, she has. Yes, so she has. And it's great. It's really, it's really fun to be able to actually get to talk to you about it now. Thank you guys so much. I, I mean, likewise, I'm also Instagram following come to life with you guys. Aww. I don't know if that was politically or grammatically <laughs> correct way to say it. but That's how we say it. Yeah. 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 Well, we always kick off our pod episodes by asking guests about a self-care practice that they have in their life. And it can truly be anything. Um, But we would love to hear what is resonating for you as self-care right now. I think that I really enjoy simple, small pleasures in life. And I have kind of a running list of them in my head. So my summer ones, which have been the same for a couple of years, are like a really, really cold glass of sparkling wine. Ooh. Mm. A same temperature, really good cold brew coffee. And like a really good plate of fries. Like if I can go on a Friday or Saturday afternoon and just have like, it has to be extra cold though. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) I'm very much a fan of sparkling wine does not need to be a celebration drink. It could be an all the time drink. Mm. Um, So I think indulging in a simple pleasure is probably, probably my self care. Um, And you know, a perfect Saturday is like doing that and then spending the rest of the day just lounging and reading, which can't do as much anymore now that I have a 10 month old, but that's okay. (laughs) I love that you have, um, to borrow a term from TikTok, beverage goblin energy with these self care choices, because I am a perfect, like I like beverages all day long and I like the ice cold brew and then an icy sparkling wine. Mm. I think that's just why I like summer because I feel like the beverage, all beverages taste better in the summer. I'm actually not, I I do know people who are beverage goblins and I don't self-identify okay. as that. I do. So but, respect, I respect but that. But I, I do find very simple. I feel like a lot of my simple pleasures are beverages. So that makes me kind of reevaluate. Okay. No, yeah. wait, not to get too specific. And then we will talk about influencing, but <laughs> I do want to know, 
when it comes to a French fry, are you like a steak fry person? No. Are you like a crinkle cut? Like in your dream are plate you of a fries, McDonald's fry type? Well, I mean. No, no. I mean, I think honestly, my absolute favorite is waffle fries, but you oh. don't really see them in the wild that often. You kind of have to like seek them out. Um, honestly, I, I like just kind of like an in-between, like not a steak, like really fat one, but not a super skinny one either. Just like kind of like the middle of the road. I know, I'm they also, have like a rectangular shape. Yes. I'm also very well known in my like family and friends among them as being like a dip connoisseur, which makes me sound like the guy on Only Murders in the Building, I just realized. <laughs> but I love like any like aiolis or like fancy like ketchups or anything like that. Um, love a hummus. So that's an also um, the fry is usually a good uh, thing to put dips on, I would say. It's a good vehicle for a dip. Right. Yeah. Good vehicle for a dip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Stephanie, you wrote a book called Swipe Up for More Inside the Unfiltered Lives of Influencers, which, not to brag, but you asked me to blurb it, and I did. And I did that because I loved the book so much. Um, Thank you. Yeah. It was so great. And I think like as a culture, we all, well, I don't want to say we all, but I, I think as a culture, a lot of people have a certain fascination with influencers and you really kind of like tapped into that and explored it. And I loved how you got so personal with so many of, with these, with these influencers. Um, it was just, it was really well done. So thank you for writing it. Everyone, please buy for, it. Thank you for blurbing it. It meant a lot to me, so thank you. Um, so let's talk about your book and about influencers. And Ugh. this was, this was an area that like, you know, you had been covering for a long time. It's not like this interest came out of nowhere. I mean, you were probably, you wrote like the iconic takedown of Lula Row. Um, <laughs> so, you know, this, this is all, <laughs> yeah, this is all kind of like of a piece, but could you talk a little bit just for the benefit of our readers who probably of our readers of our listeners who probably have not had a chance to read the book? Um, could you talk a little bit about where this interest came from and when you started to think about the book, why you kind of approached it in the way that you did? I have to give a lot of credit to my editor at Penguin, um, Mary Sun, because she really guided the book in a way that ultimately I think made it into the best thing it could be by really encouraging me to focus on just a few people and going really in depth with them, which mm -hmm. I think my initial impulse was like, I want to do a book on the influencer industry. And so I need to cover every single facet right. of the influencer industry, which I think is something that a lot of authors struggle with and also a lot of journalists struggle with. Um, and I tend to think as a culture writer that you can really show, not tell in a lot of these situations. And you can do that, like you can highlight an industry or an issue or cultural impact by really just going deep and telling one person's story or a few mm -hmm. people's story rather than, you know, 
interviewing 50 influencers and trying to distill one singular message out of all of that. Um, so I got interested in covering influencers for work because I was working at BuzzFeed News with you. And um, as you know, BuzzFeed News, one of the great things about it was they really just encouraged you to experiment and yeah. to really follow your passions and your interests and kind of try anything and see if it works. Um, and I had been running a team that was essentially, essentially doing like viral news, trending news. Um, and we were just always kind of trying to look for what would pop off, what people would be interested in, what people would want to share. And I had been really interested in Instagram influencers specifically, um, who most of which started as bloggers. And I had been really obsessed with bloggers right after I graduated from college and really became a like rabbit hole that I spent a ton of time mm-hmm. <laughs> going down. I mm-hmm. had a job where I worked alone overnights. And I just remember spending so much time on Google Reader reading blogs and just like almost communing with people online in that way as a voyeur, because I suppose I didn't have anyone to talk to in real life. Um, And so by the time I was at BuzzFeed and, you know, I'd been running this trending team, I had been following a lot of these people for like seven or eight years. And I kind of had this light bulb moment um, where I realized that while some YouTubers were being covered um, and some other online celebrities were being covered, there really weren't a lot of people talking about Instagram influencers and that Mm. style of content creator. And it really was as simple as me just going, well, this is something I'm interested in. A lot of my friends and I talk about it or text about it or gossip about it when we see each other. Um, Why don't I try to write about an influencer drama on BuzzFeed and see if it works. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I had written a couple of stories, um, but the first like true Instagram influencer story I ever wrote was about this woman who pub- she was like a cottagecore before cottagecore mm. influencer. Okay, she okay. had this like a frame house and she lived in the woods and she wrote this very long detailed story about giving birth to her daughter alone in the woods, which I was like. Okay. And she had put out this book on foraging, like a rest, like a cookbook on foraging, like how to forage in your own woods and cook. And I was on the internet and people were saying that basically a lot of the instructions she gave in the book were not correct and could also be dangerous because she was telling people to like forage for mushrooms. Wow. Um, so I reached out to the publisher and, you know, kind of wrote up this drama and it was just went bananas. Like people were reading it. People were sharing it. I was getting like emails and comments and the publisher actually ended up like taking the book down, um, which was crazy. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to her for that, but it was really just kind of like, that was kind of the first time that I ever took something that I had been obsessed about in this world on the internet and wrote about it in a journalistic style. And that was kind of 
the off to the races after that. Like I just really started writing a lot about internet culture and influencers. Um, and then, as I said, when I first started talking to my editor about doing the book, I really just wanted to examine how much this industry impacts us, especially I would say young women, um, you know, in my generation and your generation and younger generation. Um, and just try to see like, how have these people impacted culture and money and shopping habits and all of that kind of stuff. And at the time, the really big nonfiction book was three women by Lisa Taddeo. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to Mary about it, she was saying, um, you know, I really want you to go deep. I want you to focus on the only few people. And I was like, okay, so we could do like three women for influencers, which, you know, the book is not anything like three women, but that was the original kind of idea in my head. Um, you know, just really telling the story, trying to tell the story of the cultural and sociological and economic impacts of influencers by telling the story of three influencers. Um, so that was, yeah, that was the original idea for the book. I think that was really smart, like a really smart approach um, because it, it's, first of all, I think it just, it makes for a more readable and compelling story. And, you know, I think it's, it, pe- readers want to kind of get into other people's lives and and you did such a good job at that. And I think, like you said, if you had kind of tried to go very broad, <clears throat> it would have felt kind of more dry. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, one of my favorite writers in the feature space is Eli Saslow from Washington Post on New York Mm -hmm. times. And he just does such an incredible job of like telling the story of one issue through one person. Um, and so that's what I like was really trying to do. Um, And I think also, you know, I was trying to make it as readable as possible simply because I honestly had not read very much nonfiction when I first had the idea to write the book. Um, And I kind of put myself on a homework assignment for the last like three years of just reading. Like that was the first thing I did was I just read a ton of narrative nonfiction. Yeah. Um, And really, I feel like that was the thing that taught me the most about what I wanted to do and how I could make something like this. Actually, I think like originally I was like, I do want to do this and I think this is important, but how do I make this something that people actually, people like me um, actually want to read, like my peers actually want to read. Um, And I thought that, you know, really just trying to dive deep into someone's story would be the, the most readable thing for me. Um, and yeah, I really, I, I read so many narrative nonfiction books. I actually mostly exclusively listen to nonfiction because I just find that easier um, after reading for work all day, a bunch of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was, what I was hoping, hoping for. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. You know, one thing I think is really kind of interesting about skin, my skin, but all skin, is that like what it needs now in my 40s is not what I needed in my 30s. Totally. Definitely not 
what I needed in my 20s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, how are you supposed to know what your skin needs? It's hard. It's hard to know. Especially when there's just like so many products out there. The overwhelm is real. It's a struggle to even know how to get the results you want, what products to start with. This is why we're super excited to partner with Apostrophe. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed medications that are clinically proven to help. I have used Apostrophe. I love it. They will pair you with a board-certified dermatologist who literally creates a personalized treatment plan for your skin. I have done this a few times now. It is so easy to do their online consultation. You upload photos And like within a few weeks, I had done a consultation and received my treatment plan and my product. Amazing. And that is how I became a Tretinoin gal. I love the Tretinoin that they sent me. I love their sunscreen. Both products have been amazing on my skin. And you, Forever 35 listeners, can get a special deal from Apostrophe. You can get your first visit for only $5.00. That's at apostrophe.com slash forever35 when you use our code forever35. Now, that is a savings of $15. I like that. This code is only available to Forever 35 listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash forever35 and click get started. And then use our code forever35 at sign up and you will get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, look, I don't know about you, but when I hold on to some negative feelings, it really starts to impact my day-to-day. I get a little snippy and short with the people in my life. Things start to really feel overwhelming. And look, it's just generally not great for me or for the people that I am interacting with. And I do find that my time in therapy is a real safe space to get those things off my chest and figure out how to work on and work through things that are weighing on me Mm. or maybe weighing on you. For example, like I have actually really been working on mindfulness in therapy. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Easier said than done, but that's the work, right? Like just learning about kind of I'm like really creating a breathing practice and paying attention to my physical body and my feelings. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and to learn productive coping skills. If you're thinking about trying therapy, try BetterHelp. It's convenient and accessible anywhere because it is 100% online. All it takes to get started is filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash forever35 today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash forever35. I am the first to admit that gift giving is not easy for everyone. It's taken me a long time to become like a halfway decent gift giver. But what I have learned is that the best way to win the gift giving game is to gift memories. Ooh. And you know how you do that, Kate? I'm I'm ready. I'm listening. The Aura digital Mm -hmm. frame Mm -hmm. preloaded with decades of family photos. We have gifted this to many people. And when you gift this, your family will love looking back on childhood memories and seeing what you're up to today. 
Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating the frame with new photos. So it's really the gift that keeps on giving. It's super easy to set up. It takes literally two minutes. You download the app. You set up the Wi-Fi. Boom. Boom. You're good to go. Yep. We have given this to my parents. We've given Mm -hmm. this to Matt's parents. Mm -hmm. Same, same. It's so easy because you can add photos from the app like anytime you want. And also like my brother has the app so he can add photos from his family. My sister has the app so she can add photos. My parents also have it. So they also add their own photos. That is one of the coolest parts I think of the Aura Frame is that everybody can contribute. Yes. I love that about uh, we have two aura frames in our house i have Ooh. one in my office and yeah and one in our family room and do my they kids have, love it do they have the same pictures on them no they have different pictures <gasps> Ooh, mm-hmm. oh that's interesting maybe i should get one for my office i'm looking at a picture of my in, children right now right interesting mm-hmm. hmm. putting that away for later store that Yes. Uh, The Aura app lets you share photos more securely than with email, which is what many other digital frames require. And also, then you're not taking up your email storage. So, win-win. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Forever 35 listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code forever35 at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I think it's safe to say that we have suffered through bras. We've been uncomfortable in them. We've devoted whole episodes to finding good ones. But I'm here to say enough is enough. 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 I mean, Dory, have I ever told you? Have I ever told you what I did in college when I needed a bra to wear with a fancy dress? What? I cut the top of pantyhose and then I duct taped that to my chest. Oh, that sounds uncomfortable. Because <laughs> I, I didn't have honey love when I was in college. No. Well, we are here to say no more being uncomfortable. With no. Honey, no. With Honey Love's bras, you will wonder why it took so long to make something so comfortable and so supportive. There's no underwire, but through some kind of wonderful magic, they managed to not sacrifice lift all while making it in a fabric that's so comfortable, you barely know it's there, especially the crossover bra. I wear one of these almost every day. I'm wearing one right now because it's so comfortable and it easily fits into my life. But if you like a breathable and versatile legging, Honey Love has you covered on that front too. Plus, they have tanks, shapewear, and their V-bra that has molded cups still without the underwire to keep you from getting that dreaded uniboob effect other more relaxed bras tend to give you. So treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we send you. Treat yourself to Honeylove because you deserve it. So you take us to Utah, which I feel like (laughs) is at the heart of when we talk about influencer culture, especially when it comes to white women influencers, it's Utah, right? Like that is the Hollywood of influencers for many, for, for many. Um, Absolutely. Could you kind of like for, for people who are like, what the hell are they talking about? Like, 
what is the deal with Utah Mormon influencers and the kind of evolution of the stereotypical white female influencer that I think kind of embodies that that Utah look and also I mean it's not just a look right there when you're an influencer every part of your life in many ways becomes a com- like you're selling it or it's, it's a commodity. So what does it mean to be one of these big influencers um, either specific, like either some that you mentioned in the book or just of that culture? I think one of the big questions that a lot of people have is most, if I would, I don't want to say most, a big percentage, an outsized percentage of the people who got really famous early for being influencers who became really some of the biggest names and influencers at the beginning of the industry were white Mormon women from Utah to the point where, you know, out here on the East coast, like a lot of people have never met someone who is LDS. So it's like, it's a very outsized population in this one industry. And there's been a lot of speculation over the years as to why that is. Um, and I have a couple of theories um, that I break down in the book, but I think the most simplest explanation is many of the women who really became huge influencers who were a part of this population were kind of caught between two worlds where a lot of them, you know, are around my age. Um, they grew up, you know, in the nineties where it was very much like girl power, you could do anything. Like girls were very encouraged to, you know, go to school and, you know, really dream big. And I mean, I'm sure other people, you know, earlier were, but like, that was something that I really felt growing up and they were kind of caught between that and this culture where they aren't forced to stay home and marry young and have kids young, but it is something that they're raised with and is important in their culture. And what, one of the husbands of one of the influencers I profiled explained to me was just because these were women who chose in their early twenties to settle down and have kids didn't mean that they lost that entrepreneurial spirit that a lot of women were ingrained with and didn't mean that they, you know, many of them were highly educated. They had gone to college and now they were kind of in this box of being a wife and a mom. And simultaneously, a lot of brands, the ideal model for a brand, especially a parent brand, is someone like, let's be real, like a hot, young, white, Mormon mom. Not necessarily Mormon, but just like a hot, young mom. And so I think what ended up happening was a couple of people started blogging because it, you know, it was like just a thing to do at the time. And then once they realized that they were getting traction and couldn't actually make a business out of it, they had that time and they had the will to really build it into a sustainable business that I think maybe people would have if they were more settled or if they had already had a career or if they were having kids later in life. And it was just kind of this perfect marriage of these really ambitious young women who were savvy on the internet, who were good at marketing themselves and brands who were like, yeah, this is amazing. Like I want to send this like really beautiful young mom, all of my products. So she'll sell them to her followers. Um, And then I think then it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, When I asked, you know, the people I was interviewing, you know, why do you think there are so many Mormon women who became influencers, 
they were like, well, why do you think there's so many startups in Silicon Valley? It's just like one begets the next begets the next. And I think it, you know, if you're someone who, you know, you see that this girl, you know, down the street is making a million dollars a year blogging. And as far as you can tell, she is just the same as you are. You know, you guys went to the same schools, your kids go to the same schools, you live on the same street. Like why, if she can do it, why can't I? And so it was just, um, the next person started and the next person, the next person. And it really just kind of blew up um, to the point where, I mean, the area of Utah where so many of these people live, it truly is almost like a mini Silicon Valley for influencers where like a large percentage of the children of the parents at, um, at this woman's school are influencers. And it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Um, but I think, it, yeah, I think like it was just kind of this like perfect storm um, where everything kind of came together very and they all worked very well together. Well, and as you mentioned, it, you know, I would say the vast majority, if not all of these women are very conventionally attractive, white, leaning into these kind of old fashioned ideas about domesticity and femininity. A lot of them have these like big families of blonde children. And it does in a lot of ways that that particular sort of world of influencer seems to be tapping into this nostalgia for um, a past that does not include <laughs> a lot of you know a lot of people um and it's not i think it's not coincidental that those are the the people who have been rewarded with audience with brand deals etc cetera, etc cetera. um and as you write about in the book they also get backlash um but yeah yeah, yeah absolutely i actually have been thinking um recently about um, you know, why this type, why so many people are so fascinated, even people without kids, um, right. by, you know, these like very quote unquote Americana, uh, families on Instagram. And I think it has something to do with like the anxiety around American motherhood, because mm -hmm. I think there's so many women who, even if they don't have kids are kid curious, where, you know, someone in their mid-20s, for example, might, you know, not want to have kids for a long time, but they might want kids eventually. But there's, you know, it's really hard to be a parent in America. It's really hard to be a mom in America. And I think there's almost something soothing about seeing someone who seems to be doing it really well. Um, and I think on the flip side, a lot of moms get a lot of catharsis out of like absolutely hating the motherhood that these women portray in a way, because mm. I think that's something that especially I've noticed over the past few years, um, there seems to be like a lot of anger and um, people seem to get a lot out of like tearing down this ideal of an Instagram mom in a way that feel, I feel like for them is almost cathartic. Um, yeah. So I think there's like a lot of there's a lot being taken out of the images that are put out, I think. 
uh, is it projecting, do you think? I don't honestly, like I've been thinking a lot about it since I became a mom um, because there is just this, there's so many think pieces and there's so much dialogue around moms on the internet right now and how, um, you know, how Instagram moms like paint an idealized brush, but then like, if they like do get real, then people also get mad at them for that. And I don't know. I just think it's a really fascinating thing that I feel like people just really enjoy tearing down the images that mommy bloggers put on the internet. I don't know. What do you guys think? It's just like, I've been like thinking about it a lot since I became a mom because personally, I don't, I enjoy looking at someone like, um, who, you know, these cottage core influencers where they like post about their like 15 kids and like how perfect their kids are. Like, I like to watch that just out of like a strange fascination. I'm like, that couldn't be me, but good for you, you know, but it never makes me feel bad as a mother. Um, and I just think that's something I've been thinking about a lot. That's like a very half-baked thought, but I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Hmm. I don't know if I, I, it's not that I don't have thoughts. It's more that I don't know if my thoughts are coherent or if, if they actually like work together. I feel like I, 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 I have certainly partaken in tearing down like in getting or getting angry at influencers on the internet for some reason at what they portray. But I also do think that they are one of the most like underappreciated industries uh, that was essentially self made by the women in it that in, you know, if it was, if this was a bunch of like tech bros doing something, it would be like heralded. So, and, and I do also find influencers helpful. Like I do rely more on influencers than I do necessarily like sources where I would have maybe gotten information in the past. Mm. And I, you yeah. know, and I mean more for like what sneakers should I buy um, or what bag like makes the most sense for a carry on, you know, like we are, yeah. they are genuinely influencing in a way that does feel like a useful tool. Um, but I think my relationship to social media and influencers is always kind of evolving and is not always the healthiest, but I don't, I don't necessarily think it's their responsibility for me to have a healthy relationship with them. I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm walking in circles. I don't know. No, I know. I, I feel the same way. I feel like it's like, it's really hard. And I think that's like one of the things that I tried to, at least make people think about in the book is like, what do like how much authenticity do influencers owe us Mm -hmm. um how much of themselves are they required to give in order to be um accepted you know because like one of the things that i think about a lot is you know one of the people that i interviewed in my book caitlin covington like she has been criticized for seeming too perfect or whitewashing her life or you know not showing the bad parts of her life And for her, that was very much like a defense mechanism where she really for a long time didn't share a lot about her personal life or didn't really get into the nitty gritty because she couldn't handle the criticisms that would inevitably arise. 
But then eventually she realized that the only thing, you know, people started to require more and more authenticity, which is giving more and more of her personal life as well. And it's kind of like this devil's bargain where you have to, in order to keep the relationship with your audience, you keep have you still have to show more and more of yourself. And I, I mean, people just have to decide for themselves if that's worth it. Um, well, and more and more of their kids, which I feel right. like is, has, you know, I feel like now people are really having these conversations that, they hadn't been having in the past, partly because some of the the first influencers or bloggers' kids are now of an age where they can talk about what the experience of being the kid of a early mom blogger was like. And it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, do you think that the industry is sort of having a reckoning or do you in this regard, or do you think it's just more like a few individuals are making these choices and like on the whole, it hasn't really changed that much. To be honest, I'm, I've been waiting for that reckoning for a really long time. I mean, this was something that people were complaining about when I first started reading blogs back in like 2012, Yeah, people were saying, Oh, this is really immoral. People shouldn't be using their kids for content. People shouldn't mm-hmm. be putting their kids in ads, yada, yada, yada. And you know, it wasn't something that people really ever started to talk about, at least until like, I would say like 2017, 2018. Um, and I've written about this on BuzzFeed. I wrote about this in the book, but I really thought the tipping point would be the whole Micah Stoffer story, which was the woman who mm, gave yeah. away her child who she had adopted from China. Oh, God. And I, you know, that story was a huge story and, you know, it was kind of caused, I would say, universal outrage. Um, and I, I wrote at the time on BuzzFeed that I thought that it might be sort of this tipping point for people to say, we need to do something about this. We really need to start examining this, um, this issue seriously and put some sort of guidelines into place for how children can be featured in content. Um, and that didn't happen. I mean, that was in 2020. So that was almost three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I talked to a lawmaker in Washington state last year who had been involved in some preliminary instruct, uh, conversations about doing some sort of bill in Washington state. And she was really candid with me that it was just extremely hard to get off the ground for one of the reasons why I think lawmakers still don't really understand and they still don't really get it. Um, And, you know, it's, but it's like, you also think about there's, we haven't solved this issue on a macro level either. I mean, children in TV, I think is still an issue worth parsing out, even though there are some laws, obviously, I feel like Mm -hmm. the discussions around Jeanette McCurdy's book coming out, um, really kind of re-sparked like, hey, like these are, you know, should we, is it ethical to use children in TV? Is it ethical to use children in reality shows? Um, And yeah, I I do think that over the past couple of years, I have seen more people at least talk about it, whether that's going to translate to any actual real action. I think remains to be seen. Um, and I think it's something that I would love to see discussed 
on a legislative level because I think that the only, you know, because basically right now, the only people who have the control over whether or not their child is exploited on the internet is a child's parents, which mm-hmm. like, it's a really bad situation because you should never trust a child's parents. I mean, you would hope that a child's parents <laughs> would have their best interests, but unfortunately that's not the case. Right. Um, so I think that, I mean, that's why we have laws for everything. Uh, and, but there's part of me that wonders that if we're not going to see any meaningful change until, I don't know, more people like in our generation and under are in charge, which considering the population of our our, leg- our government officials, hopefully going to be soon, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I do think that a lot, it's going to be really interesting. I think the next decade or so is going to be a really interesting time in this space because we are going to see a huge wave of, I would say, early blogger and early YouTuber children who yeah. are turning 18. Oh, wow. And yeah. it's going to be interesting to see what they say. Because on the one hand, I think what people are predicting for a long time probably will come to pass, where a lot of people will feel exploited by their parents and feel like they should have gotten some sort of compensation for making money for their parents, essentially. Mm -hmm. But there's a really interesting thing about Gen Z that I keep thinking about, which is they are so open on the internet that some, I think some people might surprise us and say, I don't really care. Mm. I mean, you think about like the way that Gen Z acts on TikTok with their own personal traumas, um, sharing them and just being super open. So I think that I don't know. I, I think that like that's been interesting to watch because there's a part of me that's like maybe these blogger kids won't care at all because the internet is just life to them. I don't know. Mm. Um, is that? But I still don't think that that means we shouldn't do anything about it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I I do think that we're really coming up on that time. Um, but I would say the majority of the kids in this group are late teens, pre-teens to late teens. So we still have a few years to go. Okay, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. 
Visit ebay.com for terms. I'm wondering, what, what did you find in your reporting that surprised you? Um, I think it kind of varies by person, but I think overall influencers are at the end of the day, very normal people in a way that I think public figures really aren't Mm. in the sense that they could really just put their phone down and it's like that goes away. And I think I saw that the most with Shannon where her life was just Mm. so normal that it was like kind of hard to believe that, you know, this is someone who has an extremely like long and ups and downs, a combative online life that like a lot of people are obsessed with and obsess over But like when I was with her, she really was just a normal mom. And it was almost like if we Mm. didn't have our phones, that world didn't exist. And that was a big kind of shock to the system to me because her husband was very, you know, nonchalant about the whole thing. And, you know, his wife has all of these haters on the Internet who have like threatened them with real harm. And he's like, well, it's just noise. Like, just don't look at it. Just Mm. turn your phone off. and you know, for those of us who can be like, quote unquote, a little too online, that was very like shocking to me. Um, and then my, I guess my second answer is like, just how much money you can make, <laughs> which is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Stephanie, what do you think kind of like the future of influencing holds? I think that the people who are coming up, the Gen Z influencers are so much more savvy and are just like, so they're like hitting the ground running in a way that, you know, people before them really couldn't do because they kind of really had to build the industry from scratch and lay the groundwork. And I think influencers before kind of, they had a harder time jumping from platform to platform or medium to medium, like writing to video to photo Mm -hmm. and Younger influencers are just so, they're like chameleons. I feel like they can really express themselves in so many formats. You know, I know people who are like on TikTok making reels, but are are on making TikToks, but making reels or making static posts or doing sub stacks and they can just jump from one to the next like very seamlessly. Um, I think for older influencers and more established influencers, almost all of them are using trying to use their platforms as a jumping off point to build a business, whether that's a podcast or a brand. Um, and I think younger influencers are really doing that as well, where influencing is almost like step one of a greater career that you could have. Like step mm-hmm. one is building your platform. And then step two is, okay, I'm going to sell merch. I'm going to start a coffee line. I'm going to, you know, start a podcast. I'm going to start a media brand. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, and yeah, I'm dying to see what the next TikTok is going to be. So I guess we'll, we'll have to stay tuned for that because I, I, I have a feeling it's right around the corner because TikTok is getting old. So when's the next thing going to come up? Oh, God. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's so much to like it's, have to keep up with. I know, I'm, but it I'm, is fascinating. I, I can't really think what it would be. I mean, they tried audio only, but that did, with Clubhouse, but that didn't really work. So we'll see. I know, but it's true. Like I think about my kids who are 10 and 12 and how TikTok is huge right this second. But by the time they get to high school, it might not be the same. You know, there's, I I have the same thought of like, what is next after this? There will be something. No, I think it's going to be something fun. I don't know what. Um, but I think that, I think that what's next for influencing as well is the recognition that it's a viable career option. Because one thing as I've been, you know, doing some pre-interviews or whatever for this book, I get a lot of, you know, oh, my boss is so-and-so has, you know, a 15-year-old daughter and she says she wants to be an influencer and it's ruining his life. And why do, you know, like, why do so many kids want to be influencers? It's the downfall of society. And to me, it's like, well, have you paid attention to the news for the last few years? I mean, literally Mm -hmm. every single industry is laying off people in mass right now because of like a recession that hasn't even happened yet. And like Gen Z just has to look at millennials and see how tumultuous our corporate life can be. And Mm -hmm. content creation offers a really unique opportunity to, if you want to be be a realtor, instead of going and working for some real estate firm, you can start a TikTok and build your brand and then start your own firm. (laughs) You know, like literally there are so many ways, like there's so many ways to, you know, it's really this like key to entrepreneurship in a really interesting way that I think that Gen Z is really tapping into and saying, I don't need to go get an entry level job at, you know, XYZ firm. I can build my brand on social media and then build a company that I and own it and, you know, really make something of myself. And I think for a lot of young people in this day and age, that's a way more attractive option. Um, and so I think that that's going to lead to a lot more legitimization of the career path. Um, but probably not for a few years. <laughs> mm. Well, Stephanie, I mean, I, I feel like I could talk to you for another few hours about this because it is <laughs> an ongoing fascination of mine, but we will let you go. Um, this was so great to get to talk to you about this. And um so excited for your book release. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and read your work and subscribe to your newsletter, et cetera, et cetera? Thank you. Um, the easiest way to see what I'm up to is I'm on Instagram at Steph E. McNeil and I post everything there. So that's the best way to get a hold of me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank for you. On the show. Thank you guys. Well, Dory, consider me influenced again. <laughs> or I guess consider you influenced again. We're all uh, influenced. We're, we've all been influenced. We've all been influenced. It's true. Uh, I, I really felt like one thing I really appreciated about Steph's book, but also I've been a follower of hers on Instagram for a long time, is that I do mm-hmm. find she's a very like critical, thoughtful approach to influencer culture, but also I think very empathetic. Yes, yes. It's a it's 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 really interesting because I feel like there are some people who write about influencers from a sort of like condescending perspective. Yeah. 
and that's definitely not her, but I think she she understands and does appreciate influencer culture, but she's also not afraid to be critical of it. Yes, exactly. And she has introduced me to a world you know, like there's so much of influencer culture that I don't even know. Like I totally. am it's like you're influenced by certain people, but there are so many other folks out there influencing. Yes. And dare I say, I am now your influencer. You are. I mean, you've always been my influencer, but I mean, likewise, I honestly was in Costco yesterday. I know everybody classic me. And I walked by like the Coke U10 vitamins and I was like, ah, Dory. <laughs> I just like <laughs> walking. <laughs> All right. So we influence each other. Yeah. And can I also just say that my Costco, listen, if you're rolling around and you see Eddie Bauer PJs, or Banana Republic pants, hop on those trains because I've done both and they're both great. Oh, okay. Hot tip. They also had cute tip from the number one Costco influencer. They had not they had very cute tree torn sneakers too, but not in my size. So Oh bummer. Well my intention this week has nothing to do with Costco. Oh, but I will share. I will share. Well, last week I kind of made the commitment to get back to my early bedtime because I have been really doing the like bedtime sabotage scroll thing. Yes. And it has gotten better. I have really, I've made a concerted effort, but also I have found that when I do the thing where I don't let myself go to sleep early, I get into bed too late. Instead of panicking, I say to myself, I forgive myself. Mm. And then I try to like repeat that and fall asleep. Mm. Very tender moments, just alone, me in the dark, one thirty in the morning as I try to go to sleep. But, you know, I'm trying. Okay. And this week, I need to figure out a social media break for the summer. Mm. But do it like realistically. It's not realistic for me not to look at social media, but I also need to kind of, um, honestly, it makes my like brain feel busy in a way that I would like to pull back from. And that's all probably ties into me having a hard time falling asleep. So I'm trying to think of like how I can, what is realistic, what tools actually work for me to kind of take a break from social media and what things don't. And um, just kind of try to spend the summer being a little bit more present and a little bit more um, like less mental clutter. You know, we've been talking about clutter lately mm-hmm. and mental clutter is something I've, I've only just started really thinking about, but that is what kind of happens when I consume a lot of TikTok and Instagram. It's like all of a sudden my brain is filled with all this stuff and I don't quite know how to clean it out. Interesting. Okay. So that's where I'm at for this week. How about you? Okay. Well, last week I was, my intention was to stop over committing and like set some hard boundaries. And I have been nailing this. I'm so proud of you. That's amazing. I just set a hard boundary with Kate Spencer yesterday. Oh, yes. You were like, I am not working on this day. I was like, like, I'm not doing this call. And I was like, let me make this clear. (laughs) No, no. But what if we just like wedged it in and Dory was like, I am not doing this. (laughs) It's like, oh, this is a good practice for me to understand when someone's setting a boundary with me and not just trying to move things around. Ding dong. But then I offered another solution that I actually think will be better. 
Yes, we figured it out. I appreciate you setting the boundary with me. That was really good work. Um, Thank you so much. Did you, were you able to like have the day, like, did, were you able to kind of set up that day to work for you in the way that you needed? A little bit. That's it wasn't a to- it wasn't like a total wash. Like I didn't like walk away from the day being like, well, that was a that was a waste. I, I do think sometimes I have like outsized expectations for totally. those days. And so that's something that I'm just, you know, kind of constantly working on. But I did work on some stuff that I wanted to work on and like thought about some other stuff. And that's yeah, awesome. So I think it was it was pretty it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Um yeah. So I don't know. It's been an interesting, it's been an interesting practice for me to really like stop and think about, you know, I think because part of it is like when it comes to social stuff, I always feel, I don't know. I always feel like I should want to do social stuff. Um, I also, and I said this to you the other night when you were, discussing a, like a social thing that you were debating whether or not to go to. And I like, I have lately been having this like well, life is short sort of feeling. You know what? That really made an impact on me because I ended up doing the thing that I was like feeling nervous about. It was more like my social anxiety getting in the way. And you said to me like, life is short. We should really try to make an effort to see people we care about. And I was like, Oh, you're right. I'm going to like navigate this the awkwardness and go do just that. So and how thank was you. it actually? I don't think we ever like discussed how it actually was. It was great. I'm glad I went. Oh, I still, good. you know, like I'm always going to feel socially nervous or worried that I'm not supposed right. to be somewhere. Like that's my own shit to deal with. But yeah, I had to say to myself, like, you're that's a lot of like what I, you know, I'm projecting that outward. It might totally, not be what is actually totally. being offered to me. Totally. So anyway, so, thank you for that. I don't that. know. Yeah, that's just, I don't know. I've just been like having those, I'm all, I, not to be like super morbid, but maybe this is just middle age. I don't think maybe it's you morbid. Just start yeah. having these thoughts of like, I want to see the people that I care about. And I don't want to just like, I don't know. I don't want to like make excuses for not seeing people that aren't like if I'm if I'm really sick or if I'm really you know what I mean. But like if I'm just sort of like ah, I don't know if I feel like it. I want to kind of like power through that. Yeah. So that's just something I've been thinking about. But it I also need to like square that with my very real need for like alone time and not overcommitting. So totally. That's I don't know. Really I mean, it's an interesting. It's an, and especially like coming out of the pandemic when all those decisions were made for us because we couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. Totally. And now we're like, Oh, we have to figure this out on our own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ugh, is right. Yeah. I don't know. Just interesting. Anyway, this week I have a, I have a very simple intention, which is to find a new book. I feel like I've been in a little bit of like a reading rut lately. Well, listen, everyone, thanks for listening. Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Dorisha Freer, and Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager and our network partner is ACAST. We'll talk to you all again soon. Bye. Bye-bye.